You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickarak, episode 52. Hello, Teacher Brain. At the time of this recording, we are about to head into what should have been March break, is now April break. Regardless, it's been a long time coming. And congratulations for making it to this point because that is worth celebrating. A break is precisely what we need right now. Actually, it's overdue. Um, We've been plugging along in this wacko pandemic situation, this very strange year, this very strange circumstances, and our brains and bodies need rest. Rest from screens, rest from masks, rest, rest from work. We just need rest. And so do the little brains that we teach and live with. So my desire for you from the very bottom of my heart and the depths of my soul is that you get some much needed rest that you so deserve. And I know that sometimes our brains offer the thought that we don't have time to rest or even that, you know, I'm fine. I don't need rest. It's all good. I'm just going to keep going. But I urge you to make the time and take the time, plan the time to take care of your human. I also know that you're so sick of planning by now. You plan lessons, you plan meals, you plan family time. You're so sick of planning. Plus it's rest. I don't need to plan rest. And how do you even plan rest in the first place? Well, I have good news for you because today I'm so lucky to be joined by a Harvard master's educator and an expert in positive psychology, emotional intelligence, and mindfulness, and the founder of EQ Schools, Roni Habib. Roni coaches leaders, educators, and parents in becoming happier, more resilient, more connected to their purpose, and more playful. He leads workshops and speaks in organizations nationally and abroad. And Roni recently hosted a keynote event for us in my school school district. And um, people have been requesting his return ever since. So um, I will let Roni introduce himself further and in his own words in just a second. But I know that you are going to love what he has to share today about emotional intelligence, mental wellness, and rest. And I'm so happy to welcome him here with us. So thank you so much for being here, Roni. Sarah, it's such an honor and a pleasure to be with you. It's uh, it's really fun. I'm so glad that we're connecting and having this conversation. Anyways, really, really happy to be here. And thank you for the beautiful introduction. I, I appreciate that. When I heard you speak, I just, I could hear the words that come out of my mouth all the time and that my, um, that I share here on this podcast. And so I just knew like, yeah, like I love when we find people who speak our, the same language, you know, and it's validating to feel like, Hey, we're not alone in this, you know, journey and, and doing this important work, you know? So I could tell immediately how important it is for you to do this and that you really to your core live and breathe and value this. Um, and, and why don't you, you share, let our listeners in, um, on how you kind of came to this and how, um, you know, about yourself a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I'm the founder of EQ schools and it's a company that brings mindfulness, emotional intelligence and positive psychology training to, to educators and to leaders in education and to parents, as you mentioned, I live in Santa Cruz, California, 
I absolutely, and I speak, I do speak all over the world. I love my life. I love what I do. And the reason that I started doing this work with adults primarily, uh, it's kind of interesting. It actually stemmed because of a tragedy that I experienced as a teacher. Uh, You know, by my third year of teaching, so I taught, you know, like for 15 years uh, in high school in California, actually in Massachusetts first and then in California. And I one day got to school and I parked my car and I remember getting out of my car and walking towards my classroom. And before I got to my classroom, the intercom goes off and tells us that we have an emergency staff meeting. So I go to the choir room and I, I enter and I sit and I wait to hear what's going on. And our principal comes in and she looks completely distraught. Like I've never seen her like that before. And she tells us that one of our students committed suicide. And, um, you know, it's like I taught a very big high school. It was like 2000 kids. And uh, maybe I'm a little ashamed to admit it, Sarah, but one, part of me like was really hoping that it wasn't my student, you know. Um, but when she said the name, it was my student. And that moment, like, it just, it broke me. Like, I, I just felt shy. Like, it was hard to even move. I was just so shocked and and uh, heartbroken. And, but I also had, like, five minutes, and then I had to break the news to kids. And, you know, as an educator, you know how it is. Like, you just, you put yourself aside and you go support the kids. That's That's what we do. You know, it's what we're not only paid to do, but also, like, just in our heart, that's just what we do, like, naturally, you know. And so I remember supporting kids the entire day, obviously not teaching much at all, just supporting kids with the, with the news. And at the end of the day, his mother asked me, she emailed me and she said, hey, Mr. Abib, my son felt like my son had a connection with you. I, I took her son on a, I ran this camp called Camp Everytown at our school that basically taught kids about emotional intelligence, but also about like, you know, like how to be more uh, welcoming of people with differences uh, than you. So it was just a really powerful experience for him. And he was very happy during those um, four days that we had together. And um, and then a few months later, he killed himself. So, so his mother, uh, she emails me. And of course, I said yes. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do professionally. And I walked to the church that Saturday and I sit in the first row and I, I wait, you know, I, I see, I see the mother speak about her child and then I see the dad speak about him. And of course I'm like bawling, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and then it's my turn to go up and speak. And so I, sh- I said what I said, but at the end of my speech, I'm, I'm telling you, Sarah, I literally had a voice channel through me that told me if I'm going to continue to be an educator, there is nothing that was going to stop me from putting my students' well-being first. Nothing. And and I told myself I'm going to teach them how to be well. And I was going to create this course, you know. But to be totally honest with you, I wasn't well. And and you know, like kids can smell bullshit from a mile away, right? Like it's and so like I had I had to get right. Like I had to I actually do my own work, like for my, you know, mindfulness work. I actually went to see a therapist. Uh, I did uh, a lot of positive psychology practices that I learned in grad school at Harvard. And my life transformed, honestly, like I had, I had in three pretty quickly, 
You know, in like three months, I had more energy. I was more connected to my purpose. I was excited. I was more playful. Life felt fun. And so then I decided I'm going to create positive psychology, an elective for for high schoolers. And um, I was praying 25 students would sign up because, with you know, it's without it, it doesn't run because it's an elective. And 107 signed up. And that's when I knew that. 107. Yeah, just 107, just like this. Like, I was just. It just blew me away. I was just like, yeah. it's not even, and, and I realized like, it's not even about me at all. It's just like kids want to know how to be well, you know? Exactly. And, and it was so beautiful to see. And then the course was so powerful. Like I actually saw kids behaviorally shifting like in front of me, you know, for, and I did it for four years and hundreds of kids, like just shifting in front of my eyes. I mean, I have so many stories that are just, <laughs> They still blow me away to this day, you know. And then I decided, you know what, this is really powerful stuff. And it doesn't, honestly, a lot of the practices that I used in my class do not take very long. And uh, they can be integrated into the pedagogy of any teacher, like K through 12, seamlessly. So that's when I started doing workshops for educators and really supporting them. And it's a, long story short, it just mushroomed and like I created. Mm-hmm conferences and summits and then end up like now I do a lot of work. I still work with educators to support them in the classroom, but I also work a lot with um, school leaders and district leaders to support uh, organizational systemic shift of, so it's not just like, I mean, the adults are getting the support they need in order to really walk the walk and, and practice the skills, but it's, there's also um, an emphasis on culture shift in the school, you know, actually creating a climate in which kids can see these emotional intelligence skills modeled to them. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a little bit about me, my work. Such a powerful, like, oh my gosh, cat, like catalyst for, and, and maybe that's partly why I was so, I felt such a connection with you is because I had a very similar experience, not to the degree that you had, it wasn't my student, but as I was learning, I had kind of entered the world of um, like memory tricks, brain hacks, like fun stuff, interesting, fun stuff that I thought this would be really, this would really speak to kids. It's useful. It's interesting. It would help in learning how to learn, which I love is like learning how to learn, giving students voice and choice and honoring their whole human. And then I came across, um, I, I, you know how it goes. You, you go down the rabbit hole, you find someone yeah, else who totally. does it, someone else who does it. Totally. And I found my mentor, Dr. Shannon Irvin, who's my neural coach. And she started talking about neural coaching and how the subconscious creates these pathways and how, you know, our limiting beliefs and our automatic negative thoughts and all of these things. And I thought this is beyond some memory tricks and speed reading. This is like something better for mental health. And then literally the next day, I heard the news of a 10-year-old girl in a neighboring district who had committed suicide. Oh, my gosh. And I had students like of – like I was a coach at the time, so I'd be in other um, teachers' classrooms. And I would be witness to like grade one students running out of the classroom, banging their heads on the wall, calling themselves stupid. And I just – I just – it was just like you, Roni. I was like, enough is enough. Like I can't – something has got to change. And just like you said, this is why I love what you do too, is like the systemic, systemically, it has to change. If we don't 
see, just like we're taught to model for our kids so that they will absorb and see that it is possible and useful. It needs to be modeled for us. So I just love what you do. And there was so much in what you said that I want to ask you about. When you talk about emotional intelligence and mental and well-being, I think we pretty much get that picture. But what do you mean by emotional intelligence? Are we talking like um, fe- managing our feelings or what? what's emotional? Yeah. How is it different? Totally. Yeah. No, I'll share. I just want to say, Sarah, that I, I, your story is really inspiring to me as well. And I, I just love how, like, I can feel your passion and your power when you speak about it and it's so beautiful and uh i just want you to know that it's um the world just needs more people who are on fire about what they do that's what the world needs and and it feels like you really are there and so i'm just excited about about the podcast you're creating i'm excited about the journey you're embarking on and all of that so just wanted to say that Oh, thank you so much, Roni. That that really does mean a lot. I'm really, uh, you are right. I am definitely on fire and committed. So thank you. That means a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, emotional intelligence, a lot of what, so a lot of the work that I do with it stems from the work of Daniel Goleman, uh, who he did not coin the term emotional intelligence. That actually came from two different to other psychologists, but he really developed that field quite a bit, okay? And um, emotional intelligence is, I guess, as I would define it, is, is, is really the ability to notice your own emotions and the emotions of others, know how to regulate them and how to use the information that that you have at your fingertip to make good decisions and establish healthy relationships with others and for yourself. Now, it has a bunch of different competencies. So emotional intelligence, there's really four major competencies. The first is self-awareness. The second is self-regulation or self-management. The third is social awareness. And the fourth is relationship management. So for example, self-awareness is the ability to notice and then understand our own emotions. And by the way, not just emotions, but also the sensations in the body that we feel. Mm -hmm. So because every emotion is tied to a sensation in the body. If you think of the word emotion, actually, it comes from the the Latin verb emovere, which means energy in motion. Basically, there's actually energy that's moving through our body that we feel, you know, and that's why, by the way, that's why emotions are called feelings Mm -hmm. because we can actually feel the emotion, you know, in our body. And so, so that awareness is like, it's not just cognitive. It's also somatic. It's like, Ooh, I'm noticing that when I feel fear, I feel it mostly like, let's say in my neck or, or my throat or my neck, or, you know, like when I feel disgust, I feel it in my stomach, you know, when I, and so, and the more I'm able to notice it at that level, the, the more likelihood I have to be more, be more emotionally intelligent in the sense that I'm aware. So now I have a choice about how I move my life, how I live my life. And also it gives me information so that I can make better decisions. And so, and by the way, not just cognitive decisions, but decisions that are, that, that actually, integrate the three 
intelligence centers of our body, right? Like the brain, the heart center, and the gut. Like most people don't know that we have neurons right around our heart and, and our gut and many of them. And actually these are intelligence centers that we can activate, you know, and, and learn from. So then there's self-regulation, right? Which is the, like, it's the ability to, to, to number one, not, not it's, it's kind of like not let difficult emotions completely take us over and then be able to actually regulate ourselves as they come and then be able to actually shift Right, so shift into a more uh, psychologically peaceful, more resilient space, and the the thing about that is that most people, I think, try to suppress difficult emotions, you know, and I, I think that there's, I mean, there, I know there's so many very simple, trainable strategies and techniques that we can give to adults and kids, and it, it's so amazing to see that people are like, oh, like I. All my life, I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with anxiety when it came by. I didn't know how to deal with this really strong sense of overwhelm. I didn't know how to deal with fear. Yeah, and we're not taught. Right, we're not taught. And, and, and furthermore, we're taught that like some emotions are not okay. Right, exactly. Feel. And the only emotion that is not okay is a suppressed emotion. Yes. Truly. Like yes. every emotion is okay. Like, and And... and so like, for example, how, and so when we give people the ability to meet emotions with equanimity, you know, uh, that's just so incredibly powerful. Like you, if you can do that, well, you win the game. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh if my you goodness. allow yourself, for example, to feel angry, meet it with equanimity and, and allow the anger to help you become clear about certain things. Yes. That's beautiful. That's powerful. I talk about that a lot is like, note it like you just like you said, be aware, notice the emotion. Oh, I'm feeling angry. What does that feel like? Oh, I'm feeling it in my stomach. My jaws are my jaws clenched. You know, think what was I thinking right before I felt this anger? Do I like this feeling? What is it trying to teach me? And then like, I love how you're describing that as emotional intelligence because and not suppressing like you said, and just like, okay, how do I get out of this? Let's not just look at like avoid and resist and and suppress, but let's like sit with it for a second, experience it, think about it with acceptance and curiosity rather than judgment. Exactly. And then, yeah, what do I do from there? I love that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, and also with with self-compassion and with love towards yourself, mm-hmm. right? like loving the part of ourselves that maybe is having a hard time welcoming the emotion. Yes, and that's self-love, Right. right? And really ask, even asking yourself, like on a scale of one to 10, how welcoming are you that this emotion is here right now? And by the way, if you're not welcoming and that's your truth, can you be welcoming that you're not welcoming? Can you give yourself the permission to not be welcoming? Yes. What a good skill. And interestingly, when people do that, paradoxically, they become more welcoming. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, obviously there's a ton of different skills with, with social awareness. So that's like really attunement, right? Like how attuned are you? And, you know, like most, I mean, look, 95% communication is is not verbal, right? It's like listening to what is not said, is seeing, you know, how much are people leaning in? How much are people leaning out? What What's happening right now uh, within them, you know, and then and then, commu- and then relationship skills, really like being able to communicate effectively and so I feel like 
in a nut, I mean, obviously there's sub competencies to each one of those, but in a nutshell, that's what I see as emotional intelligence. That's awesome. And what do you see in terms of emotional intelligence? Where is the greatest impact from your work? Like, is there like one of those sort of areas or sub competencies, like you said, that people are, I hate to use the word deficient, but that there is a gap that we just haven't learned and what happens when they fill that gap? Yeah, I love that. I love that question. For me, it feels... I mean, they're all really critical and important. And the interesting thing is that without self-awareness, you can't do any of the others. I mean, you ha- like that's the base, you know what I mean? Yeah. And with that, I'll say that if there, if you have a, if you have even a sliver of self-awareness, I, I think the, I think the, the thing that gives people the greatest kind of bang for the buck, in my opinion, is for focus on self-regulation, like really knowing, not only not only how to downregulate our nervous system, but then how to take it to the next level where you actually are able to choose to physiologically and mentally like shift your state to be at a higher level, Mm. you know? And and again, just for people who have the idea that uh, regulating your emotions means not ever having a negative emotion. not at all. That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the opposite. It's actually saying like, hey, shame. Wow, like here you are. Like I'm feeling shame. You know what I mean? It's and it's like sitting and being able to say, like, I like I'm feeling shame because I'm human. Do you know what I mean? Like there's I there's only, you know, two people in the world who groups of people who don't feel difficult emotions, you know, like psychopaths and dead people. So it's like I feel shame. <laughs> I feel it's good. It means I'm not a psychopath. I'm not dead. I'm human. Phew. Right. <laughs> and and let me just. It doesn't feel good to feel shame. But here's the thing. Like I can sit with it for a moment and recognize that the shame is not the totality of my experience. Meaning, like I can and even just recognizing that and rec- and almost visualizing that I can almost hold shame in my hand. And yes. still be calm while I feel it. Yes. That in itself is a very, it's a very um, radical act of self-love and equanimity. Yeah. And it feels so powerful to like sit in a difficult emotion. Like, you know, we hear all the time, get comfortable in the uncomfortable and just tell yourself, like, I just tell you, na- I name it. Oh, I'm feeling anger right now or overwhelm or shame. And I can f- describing where it is. And like you said, it's, it's just a vibration in our body. It's just energy in motion. So where am I feeling this energy right now and getting curious. And then it's, it's all, it brings almost brings it down almost immediately. As soon as you do name it and you just start describing in the words that we use in our language, um, what it is and what it feels like. Yeah. It's, you know, like when you name it, you tame it, you know? Yeah. And but then what's interesting too is that like you it's like if you don't just stop there too like if you if you're able to like just you know like kind of t- name it tame it welcome it in and then actually like consciously like learn skills yeah that allow you to begin to shift into a a more a better you know a more resilient happier more optimistic state that that's like to me that's where the game shifts you know that's where it's like 
because that's the definition of psychological maturity, right? It's like being <laughs> able to say, okay, yes, I face difficult things. Like, you know, adversity will come to us. External things are going to happen. But when we're able, like the quality of our life is much more determined by the way we internally interpret these events as opposed to the events themselves, right? Yes. And so I think that if we're able to like take a moment and say, hey, you know what? I'm telling myself this about this event. Is that true? Exactly. You know, like that was like mind blowing to me when when Dr. Shannon said the first time I heard like you don't your your brain just offers you thought options. You right. don't have to choose. You don't yeah. have to believe the first yeah. thing that comes into your head. We never we're never taught that. I was never taught that and I was like Am I the only one that doesn't know this? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure lots of people don't know this. You can question your thoughts. Oh. And I and your thoughts create your feelings. Like, never mind that part. But just like I can just I can question this and I can choose. If I don't like this feeling of shame that I'm exactly. feeling, exactly. what would be a more constructive thing to feel? And therefore, what do I need to think in order to feel that? And then you can like brainstorm a whole bunch of other options. Whoa. And like the world just opens up. That was where I was like, if kids knew this, like, let's teach them this in real time so they don't get to 40 some odd years old and have to do this retro work. Exactly, right? Exactly. It's so amazing. Like, that's why I go back to my class, you know, the positive psych class that I taught. I'm, I'm telling you, Sarah, there were moments, like, kids were, they just had these revelatory moments and they shared with, you know, there's this one girl who came to me and we did gratitude circles, you know, like in, a, in our... Um, every day in class and in the graduate circles, she said, hey, Mr. Abib, I'm so grateful for our mindfulness practices, you know? And of course, I'm like, you know, the ego of the teacher in me is like, oh, great, wonderful. But I got serious. I was like, what? Tell me more. Like, why? Why? Why do you say that? You know? And she's like, well, I got to school and I, and, and as soon as I get out of my car, I was fine. But like, as I was walking towards my science class, I was feeling worse and worse. And I had a moment of realizing, I had a, a stop for a moment, I breathed, and then I had an awareness that my inner critic, you know, like that itty-bitty shitty committee, right? Like my inner critic <laughs> comes, comes in and it's it's been telling me, like it's sending me statements like, hey, why'd you even study for this? You know, like you're so much, you know, everyone else is smarter than you are. You never do well in science. You should just cut class, all of that, you know? And this is a 16-year-old girl, Sarah. She told me, here's what I did, Mr. Abib. I waited till no one was around me because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. And <laughs> I turned around, physically, like turned around. And I, I gave my inner critic a hug. <laughs> and I told this inner critic, hey, I know you're trying to protect me. You're here. You're not doing a good job. And I <laughs> wait, so you're going to go sit. I'm going to give you a hug. And you're going to go sit in the back seat. And I'm going to go take this quiz. And then if you want, we can talk. But right now I'm taking this quiz. And it's incredible. She went, she took the quiz. She did a little bit better than she usually does. And, but the point is that she wasn't in agony, you know? And like, Sarah, yeah. this is a 16 year old girl. Like if I had this when I was 16, like, holy shit. Honestly, you know, like, imagine I had a colleague who, um, her daughter had such bad test anxiety. She was taking studying law in England and she had to fly. She her daughter ended up hospitalized because of this pre like she was coming up to exams and she just 
couldn't cope. And so she had to fly to England over the weekend and be with her daughter so that she could take these exams and fly back to teach. And yeah, like those are the people I think of when I think if they had, if, if I could just help them. Right. And then on the flip side, like the good examples and the proof why this works is like my daughter who's six the other day, so we do like mindfulness, we like we do all the things. She knows she's very aware of her yeah, brain. Yeah. So the other day, but it was a like Easter Eve, Easter Bunny Eve. She and she said to me, she's like, Mommy, I used to only care about the thing that I ha- I get. I was only grateful for the thing, but through gratitude, I've learned to be grateful for where the thing comes from. And so I'm gonna leave the Easter bunny. Mm some notes and she she did a little scavenger hunt for the easter bunny and she oh, left awesome. like a carrot with a note and i love you and a story nice. and all the things and like a cloth with a note saying that if his paws were dirty he could use the cloth to wipe them Seriously? and i just feel like like you said I, a little bit patted myself on the back but then also just like felt so grateful to have learned this now and be able to teach her now totally and I, I just want more of doing that. For sure. Um, so you you talked about, I talk about the ecosystem. I wish like if this ecosystem, I feel like it's an ecosystem of parents or families and educators or schools and then the students. And if we could all just be on the same page and like be consistent and, and take our egos out of it and, you know, work on this stuff. Um, it's so important for student success, meaning their wellness and their uh, you know, all facets of their wellness and also their achievement. Yeah. And and I've heard you talk similarly about how the foundation of students' well-being and emotional intelligence lies in, in three things. And can you tell us more about, about that? Yeah. So really the three things that, that we need the ecosystem to have is the first, frankly, it's got to start to, to me, it's got to start with the adults. Like it's got to start with a uh, commitment to a certain extent by adults to do the work. And to be willing. Now, it's not that every, like, it's interesting because it's, you still need to invite adults to do the work. You can't just force them. They're not going to do it, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, but it's a matter of like gently inviting them in in a joyful way. Like, that's part, it's partly what, that's partly why I think, I mean, I guess to, I don't want to sound pompous, but like, my work is effective because people are having fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are enjoying themselves. That's a really big thing. Yeah, we had a great time at your keynote yeah. when you had us doing all those right. things. And they're useful. And it feels like play. And so it's like when when that feels that way, then the adults like get on board and they're able to actually do the practices too, you know, and want to do the practices. And so that's the first pillar. The second pillar is um, is actually ensuring that it's not just every – like ensuring that we do culture work, like climate work, that we really support the climate of the organization to be psychologically safe, a place where people can trust each other, a place where um, that is, that's an emotionally intelligent culture, I guess I would say, you know, where well-being is prioritized, you know. And then the last piece... Like actually prioritized. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For real. For, and not just like, yeah. not just like, it's not just in the strategic plan and it's just right exactly it's like you know and then the last thing is yeah educators and staff members who are in contact with kids they need they need 
you know, practices and skills and pedagogical tools to use with kids. No question. You know what I mean? That's another piece of it. But the, the, all three pillars have to be there because it's like, I guess I'm saying all three pillars have to be there for a systemic change to occur. Yeah, like everybody needs to have the tools. Everybody needs to walk the walk. You need buy-in. So therefore it has to be like, and like you said, the culture just has to be embedded everywhere and practiced by everyone. So that like when we get an email reminding us to take care of ourselves we have something to model that on. We have examples to of people in the system at all levels um, who have who practice this regularly, and so we can reference those things. Right. And by the way, the parents have to be on board too. That's really important as well. So, yeah, like what a great opportunity and purpose for cooperation and collaboration at the systemic level. Yeah. Exactly. And Roni, I know that you also use the acronym RAMP. Can you tell us what RAMP stands for? So RAMP really is an acronym that I created because that essentially talks about the five elements that contribute to anyone's well-being. And R stands for relationships. Relationships are the number one predictor of well-being, having supportive relationships in our lives. A stands for two things. It stands for Awareness, so having pre- like living with presence, being in the present moment as much as you can. And A also stands for advancement. So having like really allowing yourself to continue to grow so you don't stop growing. I think when we stop growing, we start dying in a way, you know. And then um, M stands for meaning, really being connected to our purpose, to what, what's important in our lives. Uh, and like, why yeah. are we here? Why are we doing, you know, what, what's our purpose, you know? And then P stands for positive emotions. And ideally, a person should experience a three-to-one ratio of positive emotions to difficult emotions to really thrive. And and I believe that most North, most North Americans are not even close to that ratio. And part of it is because our brain is not made to make us happy. Our brain is made to make us, um, like... uh, detect threats, you know, like basically made to make us survive, you know? And so I, we need to build in mechanism in which we experience more positive emotions in our lives. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people basically say, well, Ronnie, of course it's commonsensical. If people, you know, experience more positive emotions, they're happier. It's just common sense. But, you know, like I, I say a lot, like common sense isn't very common. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, common sense, but not common practice. Yeah. How many people actually intentionally build in, you know, practices into their lives that help them feel better? Yeah. So instead of instead of kind of uh, getting distracted by, you know, like technology or by, and they think it's making them feel better, but it's not making them feel better. It's like it's numbing stuff. And it's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where the presence piece comes in and, and everything. So speaking of practice. We are oh, where I am. We're coming up on a, a week long break. It's supposed to have happened in March. It's happening now due to COVID, um, and so people need to rejuvenate. And, and you know, what, what can they do? What can they do that I know people are like, I don't have time. Yeah. I don't blah. blah but. So first of all, um, congratulations on finally having your break. Thank you. uh, <laughs> that's very well deserved, and I'm happy for you all. And it's uh, just really key you know yeah i think before people do anything they need to change their mindset about rest and about recovery they need to understand that 
rest and recovery is a part of work. Like when you are resting, you are you are working. It's not separate from work. Like people really need to get that the recovery process is a part of ensuring that you're performing at your highest level. That is so important. And yeah. I hear that in like my workout videos where the trainer's right. like, you know, take the rest day. You got to, yeah. your muscles need to recuperate. It's just as yeah. important. And even I, knowing this stuff, right. I was like, yeah, well, but that feels like slacking off. So it's right, so right. important. Can you say that again? Yes, absolutely. People need to understand that the recovery period is a huge contributor. It's absolutely a part of ensuring that your performance is at the highest level. When you recover, you're not, you're not, it, it, when you recover, you are working. It's like a part of your work. And the thing is, is that the people who say, now, Grant, like I, I say it too in my mind, you know what I mean? That like, but that, you know, I'm lazy and stuff like that. But the truth is, is that what ends up happening is that if we buy into it and we don't rest, then, the re- by the way, this is all backed by research. It's not just me saying this, okay? Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is that we do not perform as well long-term. So it's not just about our well-being. I guess that's what I'm trying to impart. Is like, if you want to be at your best and get the best results, not only in your life, but professionally, you better rest. You better recover. You got to find a way to do it. It's almost like a discipline, like 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 you come in with this masculine energy of like, no, now we are absolutely resting. And you set it up in a very mindful way. You actually, you know, I was, I, I think, I, yeah, I shared with you last time that, you know, I, I tell people you have to at least spend one day a week, you know, like, intentionally resting or at least half a day intentionally resting and most people say well ronnie i have two two days i have the weekend to rest but you know like the weekend is like your garage <laughs> you know you just if you're not intentional about it you do you fill it up with shit and <laughs> i so, love that analogy <laughs> yeah and it's true you know it's like so you you yeah i'll just say like look and if and if if people want to know more about why this is so important <clears throat> Not only again for our well-being, but for our creativity and for our success, they can read a book called Rest um, by I forgot the author's name. I think it's Jim Sung um, Janampur or something like that. I forgot, I forgot exactly his last name. Uh, oh no, I think it's Kim Sung Janampur. And basically, it's just called Rest. And he goes through like just example after example, study after study of like why why rest is so critical. Again, for our performance, not just. And, and what what do you mean by rest? What does that look like? Like yes, do we kick so back me, in front of Netflix with our feet up, or what? what yeah. So mean? interestingly, so I'm glad you brought that up. For me, rest is anything that feels rejuvenating to us. So, like for me, watching Netflix for 20 minutes feels rejuvenating. Watching Netflix for three hours is draining. Mm. So right? it's like you said, it comes back to that emotional intelligence and self awareness, right. like being exactly. aware of what happening in your body it's less yeah. about the activity more about the feeling that it that yeah it, okay and also how it feels in the body so for example i consider yeah. working out rest like in the sense that it's 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 you know filling our batteries the, you know going out on a hike camping um do uh, playing just playing playing a board game playing playing like dancing you know like all of these things i consider a part of rest mm. uh it's so interesting i feel like People don't play enough, you know, like 
we and it's it's like you have one life you know what i mean like let's not take it serious as seriously as we, most of us do and still have play go out and play you know like even as for me like i try every single day to walk um by the ocean i live by the ocean so like and it's gorgeous it's in california you know like and I walk by the ocean every single day and it just fills me up. And sometimes I listen to music and I dance and I don't even care. Like I dance and people look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm having awesome. fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so yeah. I love that. I love how that like, you know, kind of helps the people that are like rest equals sitting around doing nothing. Well, no, it doesn't like here no. are some things that, that have the benefits yeah, that you're talking and about. Also, and the other bad. piece about it too, I think that's important is allow, like, let yourself get bored. Like, in other words, allow yourself. In other words, instead of distracting yourself with your again devices and stuff, let, sit for a moment with yourself. Allow yourself to get bored because when you get bored and think, and you're still and there's silence, that's when the voices come in and 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 like sometimes it's kind of like oh like wow like I. I'm restless and like, this is, this is kind of hard to sit with silence and to not, but there's another voice that comes in and says, Hey, you know what? Play with me. Come on, let's play. Let's, let's have some fun right now. Not yeah. fun. Like, like looking at, you know, like Instagram and stuff fun. Like let's, let's engage with someone. Let's go out. Let's really like look at this tree and like admire it. Let's, let's like court, you know, like, uh, yeah, let's think of let's dance to uh to a song that we never danced to before. Whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, and you have a choice of which voice you want to listen to. It's yeah. totally your choice. So exactly. which one would benefit you more? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Let yourself get bored. Just sit. Set your timer. Sit for exactly. five minutes and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So good. And I think the good thing is I think so people are so fed up with screens. They may be disengaging right. a little more easily from screens exactly. this break. Exactly. Um, Ronnie, I know you only have a couple minutes left. So um, where can people find you and how can they learn more about what you do? Totally. Yes. So they can find me at eqschools.com. Uh, they can also, so EQ school, if you just go to eqschools.com and you can see a whole bunch of stuff about me, but also, um, I mean, that's my company. You can also just even scroll down. And if you want to talk, if you want to actually get on, on my calendar and meet me and talk to me, if you want me to work with your school or, or with your district or whoever, um, then you, there's a button that says, let's talk. They could just click on that. And, and, and also I'm uh, on social media. I'm at Ronnie underscore Habib on Twitter. Uh, on Instagram, I think it's like Ronnie Habib eighty one, something like that. I don't honestly, I'm not on on it very much. <laughs> Facebook, I just you know just look up Ronnie Habib and you'll see me. Um, okay, I'll put I'll put all the links in the okay, show notes sweet. too, so they, they can just click. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love that. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, and I and I just welcome welcome conversations with educators and leaders in education who who are interested in this work. Yeah, and like you said, like like you said about me, but I can see the passion. Like I just can feel it from you. It's just emanating mm -hmm. the compassion, the passion and the knowledge. I mean, wow. Mm -hmm. And the, just the like love and desire and care mm -hmm. um, to help is, is it's just mm -hmm. so 
magnetic. (laughs) So thank you you so much um, for sharing with us. It's very generous of you to give up so much of your time. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's like I said in the beginning, Sarah, it's an honor to do this. It's um, you're such a gem and such a joy to work together. Uh, And um, yeah, it's been really fun. I'm really looking forward to more of it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. All right. Cool. Thanks, Ronnie. All right. I hope that there were some great gems in there that you were able to gain from Roni. He's such a knowledgeable and so compassionate man and just he really just cares so much and he gives so much. And so I hope that you you took away some great things from our chat, maybe in regards to sitting and sensing your emotions, or allowing yourself to feel bored, or new perspectives on rest and the importance of rest and recuperation. And I hope that you're able to implement something this week, hopefully every day, and every week for that matter, but intentionally plan some time to fit those things in. Because like Roni said, it is part of the work. It is crucial to your well-being, your success, and your performance. And if that's something that you feel like you could use support with, that's what I'm here for. So please reach out. You can contact me through my links in the show notes. This is what I love doing and I'm getting pretty good at it. So if you do want like a free consultation call, you can connect with me and Let's let's do it. I just would love you to experience the same amazing benefits that I have experienced from learning about just what Roni said, emotional intelligence, um, how to manage our thoughts. Just it's just opens up so much. You have been listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nicaruk. Until next week, get some rest. Get some rest. <laughs> get some rest. Bye for now.